This is weird shit my mom says, episode 19. I'm Jules Creighton. And I'm Cece Alice. That was really heartfelt, that intro. I felt really passionate about episode 19. I feel like that could have turned into like a country song or something. It was a ballad from my heart to your heart. A ballad from your heart to my heart about the Black Dahlia? Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't about know. the Black Dahlia. So last last we left off, we were talking Black Black Dahlia. But what happened? What what's been happening in your life? What is going on? Well, in the last half an hour, I took a drive and dropped my note. Um, <laughs> it's only been a half an hour I think, since we <laughs> recorded last. Right. Let's see. I'm still chugging along on seventy five hard, trying to get some water in and trying not to pee my pants between us recording these episodes because holy shit a gallon of water in a day is a lot i have a lot of bug bites on my body from hiking on trails like literally anna was like i've never seen so many bug bites on a person (laughs) and i was like i don't know that i've ever seen this many bug bites on a person but they're on me right now they're like literally do you see my arm oh my god are you sure that that's not like some sort of disease do you have the monkeypox? Nope. I physically watched them biting me and was slapping them off of myself. So I know that they're bug bites. I watched it happen in some of them. So I do take blood thinners and I have very thin blood. And oh, no. some of them had more of my blood in them than others. So when you smack them, it like splashes a little amount of blood ah, onto your arm. What if- and so I like little blood explosions all over my arm, like splatters. What if the monkeypox was actually just like a bunch of teeny tiny monkeys? Like, what if sea monkeys actually had like little wings? Like, do you remember sea monkeys? Like, what they looked like on the package? Like, what if it was just a bunch of them with wings? Yeah, and they come and they get you, and they don't actually bite you, but they just have little tiny rubber bands, and they on the back of your arm (gasps) and make a welt. Oh my god. And that's the real cause of, well, because they're fighting back because they've been in those tiny containers all their lives. Yes. Okay. So apparently my, see, like my weirdness shows up like afternoon to evening. It is now afternoon. It's just afternoon. It's only six minutes afternoon for me. Oh, well, it's still afternoon. It's a 106. I know. For me. Okay. So apparently I'm getting a little bit weirder as the day goes by. Yeah, I guess so. Do you have anything to share about your life that I haven't heard yet today? Like, hmm. Like anything fun? Probably. There's, There's things that I always think of to tell you during the week, but then when the time comes, I don't. I don't remember until like probably one o'clock in the morning. You got to do a voice memo in the moment. 
and just play them back to me. So like, and then we can, we can include them. So you just be like, note to self or note to CC and then say your thing and then play. Okay. I think I should do that. I'll start doing, I'm going to, that, that'll be my challenge. So you keep doing what you're doing, drinking a gallon of water exercising 45 minutes every fucking day for the next twice a now, day twice a day for the next what 65 days you're 10 days into yes. this yeah okay i commend you and my challenge don't you have to read like a non-fiction book or something too 10 pages a day oh that's not that bad I can't keep up with anything in my life, so I would not be able to do those things. Yeah, I have a checklist I, that I that's just track not, of, but it's what you think about. Yeah. So I will try to take voice memos when I think of something that I want to tell you. And it will end up being a weird conglomeration, hopefully. We'll be like beautiful. A, it'll be like a smattering quilt of bullshit all right i like it so do you want to give like a brief synopsis of what we've learned so far about elizabeth short beth short is what beth you know is what we're calling her throughout Mm -hmm. this because that's what she went by but the black dahlia can you give us like a really quick overview of what we've learned about her so far and where we're at number one me to do it I'm not good at doing anything in short order. Oh, my God. That was a terrible joke in short order. Oh, my God. That was. I didn't even mean to do that. That's not. Okay. So, Beth Short, she had a she had a real rough upbringing because she was sick from tuberculosis. She did survive. They told her that she should go to a warmer climate um, by the time she was 15. She moved down to the Miami area for the warmer weather to be with relatives or friends that lived down there. Mm-hmm. Friends. Friends. Some friends. She went and lived down there. She had a lifelong goal that she really, really wanted to marry a hottie in a military uniform, which I get it, um, and wanted to have a family with them. And a lot of the things that she did in life were geared towards that. People made her out to be slutty. Um, after her death, but she was not. She was a beauty. She had green eyes, black hair, was five foot five, 115 pounds. I'm really good at retaining information sometimes. You um, are. And she, her dad, when she was six years old, he was a piece of shit. The stock market crashed. He left their family and everyone thought that he was like abducted or died or something bad happened to him. Mom was left with five kids to raise on her own during the depression. Things were rough, but she did it because she's a badass. And her name was Phoebe. And her piece of shit dad's name was Cleo. Really in actuality, um, when she was 18 years old, Cleo reemerged, wrote a letter to Phoebe, his her mom, and was like, Hey, remember that one time when I went missing and you guys thought I was dead? Surprise, I'm actually alive. And she was like, you some bitch, you asswipe. And he's like, can I come home? And she was like, no. 
no, you can't come home. And he was out in California living his life like an asshole. Um, and so Beth, being 18 years old, you know, she would go home to visit her mom, yada, yada, yada. She's like, okay, I'm going to write the dude a letter because she's very adventurous, very brave, very bold. She writes him a letter and says, hey, can I have some money, you asshole? Because that's the least you can do. He sends the money thinking, whatever. I mean, like he wanted his wife back, but apparently he did not want his children back. Don't know how that makes sense, but you get it. He's not quite right. So what happens is that Beth just shows up on his doorstep. She uses the money to buy a ticket, goes out there, and he's like, who the, what? Uh, kid, I don't really want you here. Um, but she stays with him for a while and that doesn't work out because he's a controlling asshole, doesn't like her going out on the party scene, trying to, uh, meet up with a military fella. She does meet someone. He dies in the war. It's super sad. She goes through some rough things, you know, does some back and forth, back to Miami, back to Massachusetts, yada, 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 ends up back in LA, um, you know, after her fiance dies and she decides she's going to try the acting gig. She does still try to meet a lot of men. However, um, she, she does go out a lot. She parties a lot, but doesn't really drink. And she will not go home with men. She's not slutty. Her roommates, she at one point had seven roommates that were girls. They all say she's kind of naive, actually. Um, at a certain point in time, her demeanor kind of changes and she starts to get a little bit more secretive about some things. She claims to have this sister that's got blonde hair. She doesn't have a sister with blonde hair. Um, you know, she's kind of lying to people, telling them that she was a hat model. It's just very out of character. She's not as nice and friendly um, as she once was. Something seems to be going on with her. Then fast forward She's seeing a married man. We don't think that she knew that he was married. However, that's the last person really that knew her to see her. And days later, she is found cut in half, um, very surgically precisely cut in half on an abandoned lot by a mother that is walking her three-year-old in a stroller. Um, It's a bad situation, but that's where we're at. Did I get it all? Yes, yes. You did. So we did talk about the only thing I'll touch on, and it doesn't really have a lot to do with it, but that the newspaper, the Los Angeles Examiner, was really heavily involved in the investigation of the murder right afterward. And so they have all this information. And where I'm going to start off is that the examiner was kind of working ahead of the police a little bit. And they did a better job of tracking down Beth's personal items than the police did. My guess in this situation, this is just me speculating, but I, my guess is that they put her name in the paper as soon as they did and people contacted the paper as soon as they saw that name. And so I think that probably someone at Union Station where she had checked her bags recognized it from the luggage ticket and called the paper to say that they found it rather than calling the police mm. to say that they found the luggage. And so gotcha. when the examiner found out where it was, 
They told the police that they would only tell them the location of the luggage if they agreed to open them, like the the two suitcases, in f- like in their office and allow them to write about it. The police hmm. had no choice but to agree as the paper would not budge on their demand and they could just go ahead and get the stuff without giving it to the police. The police needed it. So they're like, fine, we'll come over there and we'll open these suitcases. Within the suitcases, they found Beth's clothes photos of her, letters from different boyfriends that she had, and the paper decided that it would be a great idea to print the letters. Oh, no. From her boyfriends. And so at least this did lead the in- the investigators to know who they should be talking to and be able to investigate her final days to determine what happened. And so... They did find out that she had a rose tattoo on her upper left thigh, which is likely why the skin was removed there to mask her identity. They were able to find some information about Red from this experience, and they were able to talk to him and talk to the front desk attendant at the Biltmore Hotel as well, based on that. And so... Other acquaintances hearing the news re- news reported to have seen her around L.A. following the last confirmed sighting on January 9th. I think they probably don't count these other sightings of her as, as confirmed because it was only one person that saw it, whereas Red could confirm January 9th and the hotel desk attendant could confirm that he had also seen her that day. So that was substantiated by multiple people who knew her. Whereas in these other ones, there are people that knew her that saw her. So on January 11th, she was seen in a local lounge with two other women. She appeared to be very withdrawn and out of sorts, potentially on drugs. She was wearing a wrinkled black dress and torn nylons. And if you remember, what she didn't have any of her luggage with her. Yeah, she didn't have any of her luggage with her, and she she didn't have those clothes, and so there was somewhere else she got this wrinkled black dress, dress I guess. And um, on January twelfth, then two, you know, three days later, a store clerk in the area claimed to have made change for her so that she could use a payphone. This person didn't know her though, so that one's a little bit harder to know if for sure it was her. On the thirteenth. She was seen at a diner that she frequented by people that she knew. And then on January 14th, a clerk at Union Station said that she came back to the station and asked that her suitcases be forwarded to Alaska. Alaska? When they asked her name, she said it was Elizabeth Short. Whether or not that was her is yet to be determined, but they must not have gotten the forwarding done yet because... They were able to retrieve those suitcases. So, fuck? yeah, Alaska makes no sense. So those are some of the things that that happened in between. And there is one other potential sighting of her. So on the evening of the 15th, so that would have been the or would have been the evening of the 14th, I guess, would be this one. The, the night before it would have happened because she was found on the 15th. A woman matching her description ran up to a female police officer begging for help, stating that she needed protection from a jealous boyfriend who was in the military. 
She said he was threatening to kill her, and the officer just walked her back to the bar she had run from and left her there. Are you fucking kidding me? A female officer. Wait, just walked her back to where she came from, where she said, I guess so, yeah. Probably not many of them. But you just walk her back to where her abusive boyfriend could have been? Because everybody, not everybody, but so many people were in abusive relationships. Like, I mean, there still are. (sighs) So frustrating to hear. It is really frustrating. These kinds of stories. So those are all just sightings. I believe the ones, you know, where, where the people knew her, I would say that seems solid that she was seen during those times and especially in that wrinkled dress and the ripped nylons. Those are people that knew her. And so those seem solid to me. The others, this case was so, so sensationalized in the paper that you really don't know, or it could be somebody have pretending to be her on that trip back to union station if they knew that her stuff was Mm -hmm. there. So so that's kind of hard. Um, Red was questioned right away as well of course because he was the last person to see her alive Uh, but he did have an alibi so on the 15th the 14th and 15th he was in portland oregon with his wife visiting her dying father he's such a good husband he was for sure there such a great husband um so they don't have a ton of leads besides questioning everybody that they're they're finding you know there but not much to go off of to begin with besides those letters. And so on January 21st, a person claiming to be the killer called the examiner editor, Jimmy Richardson. So this is the the asshole editor that was sitting by the guy that made that phone call yeah. to the mom. Okay. I just want to keep pointing out how much of like how fucking terrible they are and how people should remember their names for how bad of people they were, even though I'm sure they're dead by now, but we should just remember that. And so this caller a male, he congratulated him on the detailed coverage in the paper and claimed that he was going to turn himself in once he'd had a little bit more fun watching the police pursue him. He told Richardson to expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail soon. (gasps) Three days later, on January 24th, a U.S. postal worker discovered a a large manila envelope addressed to, quote, the Examiner, and other Los Angeles papers. Can we hold up for a second? How do we know that this actually came from them? Because they're such douche canoes that they could have actually, could they have done this for sensationalization? Was that a word? Like done the phone call or the murder? Both. D. All of the The murder. Maybe, but I mean, the guy that made that phone call is pretty fucked. And that does seem like something icky that a murderer, like a psychological murderer would do. It also seems like something that that man, the reporter, would do. Yeah, that's true. He's a fucking so liar. I, I, I don't think it was them, but is there a possibility that after all of this is said and done that these people knew who the person was or something along that line and played and were paid off or covered up. Like that's something I I think that there's some, actually I do think that there's some link at the paper. Yes. Okay. Um, so what's in the envelope? 
So first of all, let's talk about the outside of the envelope. So the words on the outside of the envelope are cut. So when you know, if you ever cut out words, or there's like classic serial killer things that you'll see where the words are cut out from different Kidnapper magazines. Kidnapper letters. Yes, because they don't want to use their handwriting. So the words were cut from other newspaper headlines and ads rather than having been handwritten. So it said, here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow. And the packet contained her birth certificate, some photographs oh, of her, wow. some of her business cards, and some names written on pieces of paper. Um, and of course, it also had the oh, address book the with black Mark book. Hansen's name on the cover. So Mark Hansen's oh. name is on this. I will also mention that the envelope had been wiped down with gasoline, like the body. Oh. To try to avoid fingerprints, but despite the killer's efforts, several partial prints were discovered. However, in transit to the FBI, the prints were compromised and could never be analyzed. So they fucked up, like, the only piece of evidence that could have, like, the only, like, real evidence that's not circumstantial for this case. Okay, number one. Why wouldn't you just clearly you're a surgeon of some sort, right? If it's really the killer, why wouldn't you wear some sort of surgical gloves to put this That's envelope true. together? Number one. Number two, how is this envelope not like so flammable and everybody be smoking cigarettes back then, right? Like yeah, you would true, think somebody actually. would accidentally blow up the envelope. Like just yeah, like the mailman's mail. having a cigarette while he's doing the mail deliveries because I bet they did, and it right. just fucking blows up. They had a cigarette while they were doing everything. They're like taking a poop, have a cigarette, delivering mail, have a cigarette, eating breakfast, some Cheerios, have yeah. a cigarette. So weird. Okay, so let's keep going with some other new discoveries that day. So that same day that the Manila envelope was found in the mail, a handbag and a black suede high heel were found on top of a garbage can in an alleyway approximately two miles from where Beth's body had been discovered. At first, you wouldn't think much of this. Well, I don't know. But they were also wiped with gasoline. Okay, well, you had said before that her handbag was plastic, which is, yeah, I, I don't know. know how many of those, like, are about, other than, you know, the toy ones I had as a child. So yeah, I don't know, weird. like, what, like, is it thin Is that normal? Is it, like, crinkly? I don't know. I'm Did not they sure just think that, that plastic was so cool back then that they just made lots of things out of plastic? They were like, there's this newfangled stuff called plastic. I think and we we're, I'm going to carry a plastic bin with it. some handles on it around and put my stuff in it. Like so a when you drop wear? stuff in, it would be like thud. <laughs> like a Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might have I been it. I think that's how it went. I think it was more like those plastic shoes. Do you remember the plastic shoes that we would buy when we were little kids? And I was always yeah. a giant kid, like tall. So my feet never fit into those little plastic high heels like yeah. all the other girls. And I was so giant and I felt like a freak. So I just that was my sad Googled, story about plastic. I just Googled 1940s plastic purse and 
It's like plastic covered. So like how they would put plastic on their furniture. Oh, okay. That makes sense. It makes it easy to wipe it down. It's less like a Tupperware and more like a... Less like a Tupperware. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, it's. I'm not for sure. Like, there's other styles, too, that could have been more plastic. But that's my guess. Like, the first thing that came up was, was like, oh, this is just kind of covered in plastic so it won't get dirty like a couch. Like, in that era. So that makes more sense to me. I need to bring that back. I need to get a plastic cover couch. Cover couch? Wait, couch cover. Oh, are you going to, and like, next time I come there, I'm going to be, like, crinkling around. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Of course, yes. I'm going to tell you something. Okay, so I've got this. I have I have cats, right? You know I have cats, and and they they don't always like get along, and they have to mark their territory in real bad ways. So I do not get paid for this advertisement, but switched over to to Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter has changed my life. It's amazing. It's great. Please However, sponsor us. Please sponsor us. Um, the cat had already marked my love seat, which is not that old, by the way. Uh, cat had already marked my love seat. I learned how to get rid of the smell of this because of uh, that time when the skunk sack got pricked open when the doc was trying to um, get the skeleton of the skunk that he got from the DNR. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. And he was cleaning it. It was and very he- stinky. He uh, made the entire neighborhood smell like a skunk. Not cool. But I learned how to get rid of that smell by mixing together. Uh, it was Dawn, baking soda, and hydrogen peroxide. So you can use that on cat pee also. So I take the couch, right? I put it on the front porch. We have a covered front porch because we live in the south. And um, I do the skunk treatment to the entire couch. The whole process takes like a days and days to clean it to get all the stuff out to whatever, you know, wash everything in nature's miracle, vinegar, all the stuff. And it still doesn't work. It happens again. Cat fucking pees on the couch again. And we have to go through the whole process. So Doc gets sick of this. So he takes the couch cushions, you know, like you can take the cover off. He takes the couch cushions, takes some black uh, garbage bags, like the big heavy duty ones, covers the entire couch cushions in the black bags, and then masking tapes the shit out of them. So here's what happens. You put the cover back on. Yeah, it's waterproof. But guess what? When you sit on the couch, the air gets trapped in it. So you actually bounce. (laughs) (laughs) It makes this crinkle sound. And so I fucking forget about it every day. Every day I go to sit on the couch. Every day I bounce. But it's waterproof now. So there's that. So right. that's why I said I just need to get some of those covers. Bounce a couch. Okay. Yes. That's amazing. All right. Plastic. Plastic purses, plastic couches. Let's get back. So, of course, remember the address book gets found with Mark Hansen's name on the cover because he used to own it. So the police are like, shit, we got to go interview Mark Hansen. He's probably right. a killer. And so while questioning him, he was able to confirm that the person she discovered had been Beth's, as they, you know, guessed because of the oil wiping. 
and in their high flammability. So he's quickly cleared of suspicion. I'm not sure exactly like what cleared him completely because his former girlfriend, Anne, the one that lived with her before, said that he had recently made sexual advances toward Beth that she rejected. (gasps) He was wealthy, but he wasn't a military man. And that wasn't Beth's jam. Also, the other podcast I listened to, they said that he was weird looking. I mean, like, he might have had inner beauty. But... Seemed like he may nice. have had like, inner beauty. It seemed like he was actually a, a nice guy, um, is what I had heard. But but yeah, he he wasn't very cute either. So Beth just wasn't about it. So Anne thought that could have been a motive, but they cleared him anyway. There was something that that made them think that he wasn't the guy. So <laughs> that escalated quickly. She's like, yeah, well, I know. he's not dating me anymore, so he could have totally cut her in half. Uh I hate yeah. him. Everybody wants to throw everybody under the bus for this murder, though. So, man. Two days after the shoes were found and the envelope was found on January 26th, the examiner got another letter. And of course, they were expecting this because that's what the guy said. And this time the letter was handwritten. It said, Here it is. Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police. And it was signed Black Dahlia Avenger. It also did give a location of where he was going to turn himself in. And I don't know why that wasn't quoted in the rest of the letter that was quoted. But but yeah, so basically he's saying he's going to turn himself in on January 29th at 10 a.m. It seems like he might because it, the note's handwritten. He's willing to, to show part of who he is now because of this but he calls himself the black dahlia avenger so what makes him an avenger i don't know that doesn't make any sense no it really doesn't maybe it wasn't good at vocabulary so i'm thinking no yeah they go to the location where he says he's gonna turn himself in on the 29th and they wait there for him they're like twiddling their fingers but he never shows up i booped the microphone while i twiddled my fingers so <laughs> that very same day on the 29th at 1 p.m because remember 10 a.m you're supposed to show up so 1 p.m sure the examiner receives another cut and paste letter that says quote have changed my mind you would not give me a square deal Dahlia killing was justified. So this one is in serial killer font? Yeah, this one is in serial killer font. Okay. So he's back to like, oh, I can't give you any more handwriting samples here. <laughs> An idiot. Yeah. Okay. So the police just keep investigating and the news keeps going crazy over everything. They continued to interview over 150 men as suspects. Throughout this initial phase of the investigation, 750 LAPD investigators and other departments worked the case, which included 400 sheriff's deputies and 250 California State Patrol officers. So just a shit ton of people trying to figure this thing out. They so searched they were abandoned structures. Yeah, they searched abandoned structures, storm, storm drains, in different sites along the Los Angeles River, but no other evidence was ever found. Okay. Eventually, City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward for information leading to the killer, which would be over $121,000 today, plus 9% for inflation. 
because nice. that estimation was done in 2021 money for me on whatever it was that I was reading okay. for this. And after the award was announced, there were 60 false confessions in a short period of time, oh, mostly my by God. men. Because they're probably like, oh, if I confess, then my family gets a bunch of money or whatever. Because you'd be putting yourself in prison. This is like dumb. their form of self-sacrifice. Yeah, I know that many of these men were charged with obstruction of justice, though, afterward. Good. And most of their wives were probably like, you idiot. You're not smart enough to bisect someone. Yeah. (laughs) A lot lot of people, yeah, you'll, I'll talk about it later, but a lot of people offered up their relatives as well, like a ridiculous amount of people. (laughs) I would um, offer you up. Oh, thank you. I totally agree with that. Yeah, so... Mort or Mort. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> say Mort. What did you say? Mort. Mort. <laughs> okay. So March 14th. A pile of men's clothing is found near the oceanfront at the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice. So right on the, the coast, they just find this pile of clothes just sitting out in the open. And under the pile of clothing was a pair of shoes, and in the shoes was a handwritten note in pencil that read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to... I'm going to start over. To whom it may okay. concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary... I don't Mary? know why it said Mary, like it was a woman that they were, but it was men's clothing. I'm so confused. Was that a Mary? Hey, was okay. So sometimes in the back in the day, like wasn't that an insult to guys if they were like a little bitch, they would call oh, him a maybe. Mary. Like Possibly. maybe he's calling himself a coward. Oh yeah, sorry, you little bitch. Did I did I just make that whole thing up? I don't know. Or was that Oh no, that was from Gilmore Girls when he calls her Mary because she's like a virgin. So oh. <laughs> I think maybe disregard that whole line of reasoning. I'm going to look up know. 1940s men insults, okay? You keep talking. Okay. So This apparently was a suicide note saying that the killer threw themselves into the ocean to drown. I don't think that's the real deal. Um, I think you'd want your clothes to weigh you down if you were trying to drown yourself. That's my that's my negotiating the situation is. If you were trying to drown, wouldn't it be easier to drown with your clothes on and your shoes on than being naked? Yes, but. Maybe you don't like the feel of them touching you. Like, I don't like wet clothes to touch me. And if I'm going to die that way, no, I don't want anybody to find me naked. Yeah. It's hard to say. So I I don't know know if this note was really from the killer or not. Or maybe the killer was trying to make it look like he was dead and that they shouldn't pursue him anymore or something. Did you find out what Mary meant yet? No, I'm finding other funny stuff, so we can do a micro-douche with that. Okay. 
Are you ready to do that now or do you want me to just keep going? No, you can keep going. Like, let's let's okay. do the micro douche once you have something really gross. Because there was a detail that I actually read about this while you were picking up Anna, and I'm wondering if you're going to talk about it. And if you do, we I might need be grazing over that. it. There were some things I kind of grazed over. So <laughs> that's me. All right. So that was in March, and by spring, the case was closed. The detectives blamed the media for compromising the investigation through providing too much unverified reports and facts um, they really did sensationalize things so i'm going to go back to this outfit thing again so one of her papers the los angeles herald express went so far as to describe the last outfit she was seen in so remember the black suit as a tight skirt and sheer blouse that described her as an adventuress who prowled hollywood boulevard um, which is very likely why she's often portrayed as being promiscuous and slutty even to this day. The LA Times mm-hmm. even played into this as well at one point, calling the murder a sex fiend slaying. Oh, no. Yeah. So shortly after this, actually, in 1949, the LAPD was brought in front of a grand jury for negligence in solving numerous murders, especially involving women and children in the past few years, including Beth's. And I think that we hear, if you listen to enough true crime podcasts, I think you'll hear about the inadequacies of the LAPD and just how bad they fucked shit up a lot back in the day. Yeah. So I, I don't know. So this case has never been solved. At this point, over 500 people have now confessed to the crime, including some who were not Damn. even alive yet when it happened. And then... There's also just a ridiculous number of people who have offered up their relatives at the killer. But there is one story about a relative of someone that we will talk about at some point here in the near future. So there are a ton of theories out there and proposed suspects, including there's a doctor named Walter Bailey an L.A. Times publisher, Norman Chandler, who allegedly impregnated Beth, even though she wasn't pregnant at the time of her autopsy. So I don't think that's the case. Okay. There's a guy named right. Leslie Dillon, who was notable, who was a bellhop at the hotel that she was at and was a mortician's assistant. So he might have known about bodies that way. I think that maybe one of his his relatives thought that he was the one. Um, her friend Mark Hansen, of course, who had given her the little black book. There's some other guys named Joseph Dumas, Artie Lane, Dr. Francis Sweeney, Woody Guthrie, Bugsby Seagal, Orson Welles, Fred Sexton, George Knowlton, the guy Red that was married, Patrick S. O'Reilly, and Jack Anderson Wilson are all names of people who are theorized to have potentially been the murderer. But I'm just, I wasn't really... I listened to a couple of them and I wasn't really all that convinced and I was realizing that things were getting really long. And so I'm probably biased and I should have absolutely done more research on some of the other theories. But there was one that was brought up really quickly in my research, like really early on, that sounded really, really, really like he's the guy. And I think that I can put other pieces together that weren't pointed out by these other people as well in my own theories of what happened. So 
We talked about this a little bit before, and Jules was going to research a bit in between us filming about who our main suspect is. And it actually is the same person, so feel free to to jump in and give details. So this guy (laughs) that we... You said filming. Filming. Oh, because my daughter always calls it filming instead of recording. And then I keep accidentally calling it that then. So recording um so this guy's name is george hill hodell jr and his son steve hodell believes that he is the killer but he didn't come out with this until after his dad died in 1999 and i will say that steve's not just any old dude that's accusing his dad he's not just some random guy that's like my dad lived in la and he's a freak um his dad (laughs) like steve is actually a retired police homicide detective with a stellar record of catching killers. So he knows his shit. He knows how to investigate. And so prior of being or prior to being suspected for Beth's death, he was also sp- suspected in the murder of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding. And this guy is was a genius. He had an IQ of 186, which is one point higher than Damn. Albert Einstein. He was a musical prodigy. And at the age of 15, he was admitted to Caltech. But just one year after he started at Caltech, 16 years old, he's forced to leave because he impregnated the wife of one of his professors. Wait, how old was he? 16. Yeah. And so he tried to get with her and was like, we should raise this baby together. And she was obviously embarrassed that she was impregnated by a 16-year-old and turned him down, though it did end her marriage. But knowing a little bit more about – I don't know. But I also think about the fact – just some other things that we hear about him later. I'm almost wondering, like, what if that was a forced situation? What do you mean? she didn't mean to have sex with a 16-year-old boy. Like he raped her? Maybe he raped her. Yeah. That would make some sense. And then she would be even more embarrassed, I suppose, back then. Yeah. By that situation. Yeah. So at the age of 21, he ended up with a common-law wife, and her name was Amelia. They had a son together. And then later, he married a woman named Dorothy Anthony, who was a model from San Francisco, and they had a daughter. After that, he went back to school and graduated pre-med from Berkeley in 1932, and then attended medical school at the University of California, San Francisco, receiving his medical degree in 1936. So we've got a doctor training in the 1930s when they taught you how to cut bodies in half. So... What was his specialty as a doctor? I'm not sure. Later I know that he gets into psychology, but not at that time. So I think he was a medical doctor. I think they all study surgical procedures, though, at some point. Hmm. Yeah, they, they do. They do. If you're and a it's not like doctor. a practicing I mean, doctor is going to be cutting bodies in half. He would have done that at medical school with a cadaver. I know. But if he were a surgeon, like still practicing... um. You know, like that that's a 10-year gap between practicing on cutting bodies in half and then actually cutting a body in half. Unless he was practicing on human bodies the whole time. 
So he opened a successful medical practice in L.A. after medical school, and he he hung out with the affluent. He got really into the darker side of surrealism and befriended famous photographer Man Ray and also film director John Huston. And at this time, along with Man Ray, he got in like super into sadomasochism and did a lot of partying and womanizing. In 1940, he became a polygamist and took on a second wife who was his buddy John Houston's ex-wife. Her name was also Dorothy, but he had another nickname for her. And sometimes his common-law wife, Amelia, would come live with them as well. They lived in the Soudan house, which was built by Lloyd Wright, who's the son of Frank Lloyd Wright. If you look up this house on Mm -hmm. Google, I would definitely recommend looking it up because it's a crazy house. And so... He lived there with his multiple women and had a bunch of other children as well, which is one of the relationships that his son that's suspecting him of this crime came from. And he took on other lovers throughout there, too. So um, pretty often he was with other women and he would have sex parties at the house and do different things. There are at least eight witnesses that recount that he did have a relationship with Beth Short in 1946. I I watched some sort of um, I I can't remember exactly what it was I think it was maybe a documentary on this or something was it like possibly cold case house? files it could have been and didn't he have like like secret rooms or something like that in this house? I don't I didn't hear about that part but it's I possible the okay so let's see so, I'll talk about part of the house that. That potentially had this happen, though. Could this be around the time that she started to be more withdrawn and acting differently? Because if she had been, you know, kind of a goody-goody and very virtuous up to this point, and he had defiled her, like, that could cause her to have that severe change in her personality, or if he started drugging her because he was a doctor. Right. Yeah. And all the other women <sighs> that she was seen with. If he's yes. got these wives that are into these sex parties like, and maybe maybe almost trafficking her in a sense. Oh, that's so sad. That's, that's kind like of a night. That I is a think nightmare. About. And I wonder, I couldn't find this anywhere, though, but I wonder, I wanted to see all the names in the black book. And here's why. Because what if John Houston, his friend, who's a film director, was in the black book? Oh. Or just somebody that that John Houston knew. And so she ended up calling that person to try to get acting jobs and then ended up in with these guys. I guess they also hung out the, oh. at, at the Biltmore as well sometimes. So right. it just all seems like there's there's enough there that there could be things going on. And so um, his daughter actually, she accused him of raping her multiple, like on a, on a regular really? basis and being in these sex parties in the home. I don't want to talk too much about it. There was a trial. He was acquitted. But this is a, a powerful guy who many believe was paying people off. He was very wealthy. He had a lot of ties in the community. And he he was acquitted of that, even though I think his daughter may have even said that he was, like, passing her around to his friends at these parties. Oh, no. No. 
no, no. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, that kind of stuff is too... Like, I listen to other podcasts about heavier stuff, but ours, like, ugh, I don't... Yeah, I just, I don't, I didn't like, want to get me, into the I details of that too much. Yeah, I want it to be, like, a break from some of that ickiness. So should we yeah. do a microdouche at this point? So now is the time that we're going to take it back a notch and do a microdouche for your entertainment. Um... So I was trying to prove that perhaps a man would be called a Mary if he was, you know, being made fun of for being a pansy. And I really didn't find that. But what I did find was some 1940s slang. So we can talk about, like, perhaps the way they would have been talking when they were going to the clubs, you know, hanging out with their friends way back when. Like, yes. They were trying to make uh, Beth seem like she was an Abel Grable. An Abel Grable? Yeah. That would be a girl with low morals. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. If you were an anchor clanker, what do you think? Uh, sailor. You got it. You got it. Yes. Okay. Okay. You, ch- you chucklehead. Uh, like a knucklehead? Like an unintelligent person. Yeah. Like Okay. Yeah. You I just, I had this Russian customer a long time. Well, that would, a long timer, a long time ago at my last job. And he would always call his friend a knucklehead. <laughs> and that's all I think of when I say knucklehead. I'm always like knucklehead. <laughs> I love that. I know. It was great. Okay. What's this um, one? Okay. I'm going to give you a couple of really fun ones that our, that our okay. grandparents used to say. I like this guessing game. Okay. Jeepers. That's just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like an exclamation okay. of alarm. Yeah. Uh, who used to say that? Our grandma. Our grandma. Our okay. grandma. She had a rhyming name. It was great. I know. Right. Um, here's a fun one that our grandpa used to say. Holy mackerel. That I still use that. I still use I do it that sometimes too. Because I fucking love it. It's oh, just I was like just a thinking about him. The other, like I was thinking about him a lot Holy yesterday. Aw. I miss that guy. Me too. I like his his smile. I miss his smile. He had the best smile, but mom has that smile. I know. How come none of us got that? I would have loved to have their smile. They have like a it's one of those people where they're like, Oh, they have a brilliant smile. You know? Okay. Yeah, they really do. Okay. All right. Um a a goo and the moo. What's that? It's pancakes, syrup, and milk. What the fuck? Like you're pouring milk on your pancakes and syrup? That's fucking gross. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Or try is it to just like you're having pan- pancakes and syrup with a glass of milk? With a glass, and you're of ordering milk. it in a diner. Yeah, like they're in a they're in a diner, and they're doing it. Okay. Um, you you dead Hooper. I don't know. I'm like a corpse with a hula hoop around his around his waist. I don't know. <laughs> um, they're digging the jive, and he's a bad hooper. Okay, so they were at a dance digging the jive, and he's a bad dancer, so he's a dead hooper. Oh, okay. Okay, I get it. I get it. But that Abel Grable over there, she's cutting a rug. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Another one, uh, a dancing one, is cooking with helium. That means that you're dancing really fast. Okay. <laughs> I was like, are you bouncing? <laughs> um, let's see Daddy here. Daddy Mac will make you jump, jump. Yeah, exactly. Um, some of these are like things that we use still. Like, um, let's see. That's really swell. Nobody says that. Um... Okay, maybe some of these aren't things. Like, jalopy is a car. We should all know that one. That's a humdinger, you know. Get yeah. that one. Uh, you're a crumb. That means you're a jerk. You're no okay. fun. You're a jerk. Um, if you're clobbered on, it means you have a crush on. I, oh. I, don't, I don't know how to say that one. Like, clobbered means to have a crush on. I'm clobbered with that guy. Is that how you would say that? I have I a know. clobber on him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, flip your wig. Oh, that's just like going crazy, right? Like, Yeah, like you lose control of yourself. And your wig just flips over on your head because you're just getting it. Yeah. You're full of floy floy. Of what? Floy floy. What's that mean? Bullshit? Nonsense. Yeah. Okay. You're strictly from Dixie. Um, You're real Southern? I don't know. <laughs> no. You're corny and not cool. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Well, we'll do just a couple more here. Let's see. Some of these are easy. Okay. You... Are off the cob. Off the cob? Yeah. You're a corn who's gotten off corn. the cob. A big lump with knobs. It's got the juice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the song that united the world. All right. Yeah. On the beam. You are on the beam. You're groovy. Kind of. You're you're, cool. uh, you're cool. You're cool. All right, I'm gonna go over to this other one, and I'll just do like a couple more. You fat head. I don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> like you have a big head, or you're like, I got an ego. No, it means that you're stupid or foolish. Oh, um, you ducky shin cracker. <laughs> what the fuck? What does that mean? You're a really good dancer. Oh. No, you're actually a cookie. Hey, cookie. <laughs> you're a cookie. That means you're a girl that's cute. Oh, you're a cookie. Oh, thanks, cookie. Uh, and then the last one I will leave you with is a glitterati. Ah, oh, he was a glitterati. <laughs> Like a fancy person? <laughs> he was wealthy or famous, and he had a high profile. You know. Okay. Like a, like a famous person. He's a glitterati. This was fun. I liked it. Yeah, that was a fun. <sighs> that was a fun thing. Okay. 
All right, Cookie. So you ready to get back into that? Do you want to find out why Stephen thinks that, like, how Stephen got this idea that his dad might be a murderer? Yeah, I think he doesn't like his dad, number one. That would be a guess. Well, he says he's conflicted because he said that even though his dad abandoned him when they were young, which I'll talk about later, and it he also loved him, he said. And when he passed, Stephen was going through some of his belongings, and he found a couple of pictures of a dark-haired woman who looked a lot like Beth. And... Her family doesn't think that this is her in these photos that he thinks it is, but it did lead him, like whether or not that was the case, it did lead him to some investigation. And he discovered that police did suspect him in 1950 based just based on that assault that he was charged with with his daughter. Mm -hmm. And at one point, they bugged his phone. So most recordings that they got during the time that they were bugging him were not useful. But there's one recording that's super fucked up. And so while talking to a friend, he said the following. And it's a little bit choppy. I don't know if it was like they only got his side of a conversation. Maybe that was in his phone. Maybe the, the bug was in his house instead of on his phone. I'm not really sure because it's it's a little bit weird. But here's the, the right. words that they got. So... Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they might have figured it out, killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Uh, That's what they recorded. Holy mackerel. Yeah, holy mackerel. So shortly after this phone call, like later in 1950, he just up and moves to Hawaii. He abandons his giant polygamy family and just moves to Hawaii. And when he's down there, he obtains a degree in psychology, which apparently didn't take him too long because he already had a medical license. And he counseled prisoners in the territorial prison for three years. And then shortly thereafter, he moved to the Philippines and started another family where he lived until 1990. I think the people that, like, just go around, like, starting families all over the place, they're such narcissists. I know. Like, they just think their DNA is so cool. Yeah. He's like, I'm a genius. Everybody needs my DNA. And so What's with geniuses trying to populate the world? Okay. They get big heads, I think. Like, they're smart, but they're also dumb. Right. They suck. So- not always. They don't all suck. Sorry. But <laughs> if no, so you're a he, genius, she didn't mean it. <laughs> so he She's did just come a back cookie. to the U.S. eventually, though. And he died in San Francisco in 1999. And so Dang. his son, Steve, like he he does believe that he reentered the U.S. multiple times each year between 1958 and 1988 to commit more murders. There are also some murders, I guess, that happened in the Philippines during the time he was there that could possibly be linked to him. I didn't, I know that the podcast I listened to and I wasn't able to take notes while I was walking talked a little bit more about these murders in the Philippines, but not a ton of mm-hmm. information. I didn't really have time to to look into them, but I mean, if, if he did this, he's not going to stop necessarily. Somebody uh, that does something like that no. is not just going to be be dumb. And so there is even more evidence to support this on top of whatever you might have, too. So 
In July of 2018, a woman named Sandy Nichols was cleaning out her recently deceased mother's home in Indianapolis. Um, In her deceased grandfather's belongings, because he had already passed away earlier, she found a letter with the words dying declaration letter on the outside of the envelope. It had been been written by her grandfather, W. Glenn Martin, and was dated October 26th of 1949. The envelope on the outside also read, in case of Margaret Ellen's or Glenna Jean's death, which were his two teenage daughters, and it was initialed WGM, which was her grandfather's initials. So that's why she thought that this was his letter. It was in his possession and his initials saying that he wrote it. So... This letter was three pages long and stated that it should only be read if one of his teenage daughters was killed. So apparently he was afraid of something. It said that he was a police informant for the LAPD, working undercover for Sergeant McCauley of the LAPD Internal Affairs Division. And he was supposed to help identify corrupt officers to see if they could be talked into committing crimes. And the letter names... Someone referred to as G.H., which is George Waddell's initials. So he mentions this G.H. person 17 different times in this letter. Yeah, he says that G.H. is one of his acquaintances. It's an acquaintance of both him and Mr. McCauley. And it named him as the killer of both Beth Short and a second woman named Louise Springer, who was otherwise known as the Green Twig Murder in L.A. She had been killed with a blunt object and afterward was garroted on June 13th of 1949, just two blocks from where Beth's body had been found. The letter said that both he and G.H. knew Springer, the, the second murdered woman, and that they brought G.H. in to question him about it. He said that he thought the police had publicly connected Louise and Beth's deaths already outside of this, And G.H. was known and protected by law enforcement officials, and they let him go despite knowing that he did it. Why? So he's being covered up by the police detectives. And it's been sitting in this guy's possession, this letter, for 70 years. And I'm thinking, here's my guess, is that George Hodel knew that this guy knew that he did it and said to him, if you tell anybody, I will kill your daughters. Right, right. Because they were around that age. We know that he liked young ladies. So do you think that perhaps the police protected him because, well, money, like he could have been feeding them money, number one, or number two, that he had something on them, like because he's involved in all this icky, gross stuff, that perhaps he lured some of the police department into his gross games and he had nasty information on them, like higher ups or something like that. Or maybe see all of the above. Oh, God. I just wish that there was like, there's got to be somebody out there that actually has something that can be, can we do some DNA testing? Come on now. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no, and there there was something. like, I think I read somewhere and I don't know if I put it anywhere, but there was no semen or anything. Oh, it's because I didn't want to get too far into the details on the assault. They didn't find any semen on her body at all. Yeah, he did some really nasty things to her, um, to her yeah. body. Like, yeah, really I didn't bad. want to get into those details. No. If you're interested in that, go ahead and, and read about it. But I just don't, I don't want to talk about it. So 
Um, there is something else that might point to him or somebody else. But if you remember Aggie Underwood, so she was that female reporter that worked for the examiner and she was uh-huh. covering this case very closely, but right in the middle of the investigation, she gets promoted to be the first female editor of the paper ever. But she was, and then, so like with that promotion, they said, well, you, you're, you can't be on this case anymore because you have to be the editor now. That's not your job anymore to investigate this. And there are some people who theorize that she was right about to break the case at this point. And she was removed from it before she broke that case. And so years after this case went cold, Aggie did tell her grandsons that she did know who had done it. But when asked for a name, she said he's dead and it doesn't matter anymore. But she died in 1984 and George Hodel would have still been alive because he died in 1989 unless they thought that George was dead because he moved to the Philippines. I'm not sure. But she said that this person was dead already. So... That could lead to another suspect as well. So what have you heard about about George or some of the other theories? Well, a lot of the stuff is, is fuzzy because, like, it's been a while. And I didn't do a ton of research on that. But one of the other theories on this is that it could have been the Cleveland Torso Murderer, also yeah. known as the Mad, the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, um, which was – it's an unidentified – unidentifiable it's an unidentifiable person (laughs) um an unidentified serial killer that was active in cleveland ohio that's pretty fucked um it was during the 1930s which just seems like such a horrible horrible time for all of that to be unfolding um and i had like i have only just heard a story about this like on a podcast once or whatever the thing was um they officially attribute 12 murders to this person but it could have been as many as 20 people um between 1935 and 38 basically um well i have to read the notes on the Wikipedia and my and my screen just went down. So that was dumb. Okay, hang on a second. All right. Victims were usually drifters whose identities were never determined. Um, there were a couple. I think a lot of them were working poor. Um had nowhere else to live, but they were like in these ramshackle depression era, like shanty towns. They called them Hoovervilles. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming after Hoover was the president, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Um, so that's funny that they called them Hoovervilles, like it's all his fault kind of thing. Yeah. Um, let's see. They were always beheaded, often dismembered, um, occasionally severing the victim's torso in half or severing their appendages. In many cases, the cause of death was the decapitation or dismemberment itself. See, I, I was just going to say. Did he ever remember? do that bisection, though? That's a very skilled bisection that bisection you think would be replicated. Some of this, I, I remember, like, 
he had male victims and they were castrated. Like he had a thing for that. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the victims showed evidence like they'd have chemical treatment applied to the body, which caused it to be like, it was almost like he was like turning it into like a leather. It was real nasty. It just doesn't make sense to me that it would have been this, like other than the fact that like, oh, they're cut in half. And this was literally what time they they would have said that this person would have been in medical school um, in the 1930s. In the 30s. So I I get it, but also no. No. I don't think it's right. I don't think it is either. I mean, it does seem kind of strange that that the guy um the Hodel one that he became uh, a detective later on but then again like look at maybe maybe the stuff that he went through as a kid like made him into the man that he was i mean that's that's the things that shape us right like maybe yeah. there was something in there that pushed him towards wanting to solve murders and that's why he chose the path he chose you know yeah i guess that they did bring cadaver dogs is that what they call them the dog like the body sniffing dogs what do they call them uh, that would be like a bloodhound. A bloodhound. I call them a cadaver dog. I don't know if that's a thing, but anyway. Uh, okay. So, okay, but they did bring. Um. So Stephen thought that this might have been taking place in the basement of the Southern House. And yeah. Yep. And they brought dogs down there, and I mean, it's been years and years and years and years, right? Yeah. So it seems unlikely, but the dogs did pick up on some stuff down there in the basement. So that's just really weird. That just seems so long because I know we know that even days afterward, they don't use it as admissible in court anymore. Even like a week afterward or whatever. So for a few weeks. Yeah, I know. It actually drives me crazy sometimes. But yeah. um, Who had the who had ownership of the house that supposedly this happened in? Like, what happened to the house when he ran away to the Philippines? I don't... He sold it, I believe. They only lived there for, like, five years, I think. So, like, other people could have been having bodies in the basement. I mean... Yeah. Or maybe they hunted and they... Yeah. Cut a deer open down there. different scent, though. I'm pretty sure that they're, they're trained for human remains, which is different than... Oh, okay. Than, uh, like, other remains. I... Who buys a house like that? Like, what kind of person is like? Like, I feel like you'd have to be a weirdie. Yeah. To buy a house that looks like that. That's a crazy ass house. It kind of just makes me. I don't know. It's because I knew about this murder beforehand and thought maybe it took place in there. But it's like, it doesn't look like somewhere that I'd want to be and going to bed and like cuddling up to read a book. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a homey place to me. Right, right. Now, was this guy ever part of the war at all? No, he was not. So he never saw any. I'm just trying to think here because I was looking, you know, looking at this Cleveland guy in one of one of the things here. The suspect, the suspect, the suspect, the suspect um, was doctor was a doctor as well. Um, But he was a veteran of world were one who was part of a medical unit unit that uh, conducted amputations. 
Oh, okay. So, you know, like maybe it got a little out of control in his head. You know, things got, got a little crazy um, from what he was exposed to. Okay, I don't know. But... I don't know that it's beyond a reasonable doubt with George Hadell, but I just – that conversation was what really put the nail in the coffin for me. Like, why is he talking about that? It's like when O.J. Simpson is like, if I did it, you know? I know. I read that book. Oh, I did too. Um, yeah, it's gross. I had to read it because they they came out with that the, – the show about it, like the movie where Cuba Gooding Jr. was playing him. And after mm-hmm, watching yeah. that – because, well, because we were in L.A. going down the exact same highway we as O.J. We were, when it well, happened. we were on that highway, but we were in San Diego. But we had just been he was on near that LA. highway. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time. It was nuts. Happened. We were like in the hotel room watching, watching the chase on TV. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I totally read that book. So what else do you got? What do you got? Is that it? So the only other thing that I'm going to cover on this is just that there are a couple of hauntings. I don't have a lot of information, but I feel like it's worth noting because of who we are. So the Soden House basement is where Steve Hodel believes that she was likely murdered. And so I guess Zach Baggins investigated it on an episode of of Ghost Adventures. So Mm -hmm. I'll probably watch that this afternoon, honestly, if I have time. And I think that I've already seen that one. Yeah. So I'm just curious to have, like, see what he has to say to the Black Dahlia. And then (laughs) because it was almost midnight when I finished watching it. Yeah, I just I couldn't. But so there's also some speculation that her ghost is seen to be roaming around some of the upper levels of the Biltmore Hotel, Uh, even though she was just in the lobby there when she was waiting. But I guess maybe... Maybe she had been there at other times with, like, if she was seeing this guy or being trafficked or something, maybe she was brought into the Biltmore before to hang out with these these other Hollywood rich men or whatever. So I think that the Biltmore just wants to claim another, like, famous thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Those are the two that I, I heard about. But that, that's all I've got on this. So. Okay. Well, that was, it was interesting. It was, and I hope that you and the listeners learned a little bit more about who the Black Dahlia was and that she wasn't what she's always made out to be in the media. Yeah. She was not an able grable. Yeah. And even if somebody is promiscuous, it doesn't mean that they deserve to be raped or murdered. Get that through your fucking head if you still got that in your head somewhere. But she gets victim blamed almost even if she had been that way. But she really even wasn't that way in the first place. There was literally nothing that this woman did to deserve what happened to her. And not that anybody ever. I don't I can't see a situation where somebody deserves to have something like this happen to them, of course. I do. If they're like a horrible, horrible person. I mean, like, if you're the person that did it, like, I I wish there was somebody that would do that right back to you. Right back at you. I know, but what normal person is capable of carrying that out, you know? They're not no normal. normal Maybe it's is. like it's like a hidden talent, right? Like, you need to have a Dexter in the world. 
Should we take people who are open and they're like, listen, I have a problem psychologically. I think I might be a serial killer. And let's say that we just let them have the people that we know are public serial killers that have hurt people in public. So we let, so it's like Dexter, but in a controlled environment. So yeah, the potential serial killers can go and have their fun with the real serial killers. I think that they should put them on an island. Like an this island. This is me joking, by the way. To. I just want you to know that. <laughs> These I don't, are just I don't theories. support that. Yeah. These are just theories. Okay. Okay. Nobody take us seriously. Okay. Please don't write a fucking book report or tell us that we're whatever. But in all seriousness here, um, why can't they, like in a perfect world, put them all like Lord of the Flies style onto an island? And they can take care of each other. And that's only if they're, like, completely, completely proven, right, that they did it. Or, like, people that are, like, child rapists or even, like, ugh, like, icky, icky people. Like, put them all together and just let them take care of each other. Yeah, I guess. So I think. (sighs) Okay. Well, with that. That was a humdinger. That was a humdinger. So that was a if you're slang. enjoying, <laughs> if you're enjoying our episodes, we would love if you would follow us or give us a like and or give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Tell your friends about us so that they know that we exist and maybe listen to us themselves. Also, if you would like to help support us in our endeavors, you can help us out at patreon.com slash weird shit my mom says podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash weird shit my mom says podcast, but leave the I out of shit on that one because Facebook is a prude. On TikTok and Instagram, we're at weird shit my mom says podcast. And on Twitter, we are weird shit MMS pod. And that is all for today, guys. Goodbye. In the meantime, please keep being off the cob. Yeah. You guys are off the cob. Goodbye. I think that was a good one, right? Okay. Bye. That was good. Bye.